My name is Dan, and if we haven't met before, and I work here at Hillcrest as youth pastor, so I get to work with middle school, high school, parents, leaders, students, all that, and I love it. And one of the, my favorite things to do every summer is we take our students on mission trips. We do one in June for our middle school students, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. How many middle schoolers do we have in here today? How many of you went on, other hand, raise your hand, if you went on Destination Unknown mission trip? Um, we, this summer, for three days, two nights, because that's about all that the leaders can, and I, that we can handle as far as losing sleep um, goes, we took them to Seattle. And it's destination unknown, so they have no idea where they're going. Their parents do, of course, but they get in the van and they just, we just go somewhere and they find out when they get there. So this uh, June, we worked at two places. We worked at the Hope Place, which is a mission for... Um, women and children, sponsored by, or the, it's owned by the Union Gospel Mission, and then a place called the Bread of Life, which is a mission in downtown Seattle. And so what this does is it gives them a chance to serve and to experience um, mission at, as a middle school. And some people say to me, that's crazy, don't take middle schoolers on mission trips. And it's, I adamantly refute that because it plants seeds in their hearts for mission and, it, and they do an amazing job. And so I'm really proud of them. They did things like organizing closets to stacking boxes to organizing cleaning storage rooms to, um, well, some parents are thinking, I wish to do that at home, right? Um, cleaning, clean up. Uh, to what else did we do? We, we walked, did prayer walks throughout downtown Seattle. We served in food in the mission. And some of our students even got up and shared their testimony, which half the people in the room... Um, so it was right before the meal in the evening. Half the people that were there, they had to sit through the service. A lot of them were asleep, um, but they still got to speak to uh, their testimonies, and I was really proud of them for that. So good job, middle school students, for that. Yeah, yeah, platform. They're awesome. They had a great team. So then in the, later in the summer, end of July, beginning of August, we took a group of 32 high school students and leaders to work in New Orleans, Louisiana. And we do these trips every summer because, well, I'll tell you in a moment why, but we've been to places like Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, Mexico, Nicaragua, England, New York. And this summer, we uh, wanted to go somewhere in the States. And so we actually planned a trip to New Orleans. Now, when years ago, as, you're, as you know, about 10 years ago, there was a, a massive Hurricane Katrina that hit that city and subsequently broke the levees that were holding, in, the, holding back the river. For, and so the, it was a major national catastrophe that happened. And so about nine years ago, I was a youth pastor at a church in Port Angeles, Washington, and we planned a trip to go to New Orleans to help with um, relief. And th that team ended up going without me because that's the summer that I moved here. And so they went, so I had never been there before, planned a trip and never got to go. So this year we did that. And as I was working with our student leadership team and trying to figure out where to go this summer, contacted a church in New Orleans called All Nations Fellowship. And All Nations Fellowship is uh, pastored by um, a guy named Anthony Freeman, who was a United States missionary, an Assembly of God missionary, that and that's him with his family there and a lot of his sons and his wife and our people on staff and they make that church happen 
So during the hurricane 10 years ago, he was asked to go there and to help head up some of the relief with the Convoy of Hope and other ministries that were helping out there during, the, during all that um, tragedy. And so had an apartment, started inviting people to come to, the, to, their, house, to their place where they live, and then they were um, going out and serving. And that's where this church, All Nations Fellowship, came from. So it's 10 years old, and it's a church of about 200 people in New Orleans, which is one of the biggest churches in New Orleans, if you can believe that, 200 people. And after New Orleans was hit by that hurricane, 50% of churches closed down in that city after that happened. So this church started out of that 10 years ago. And so we went there, and they were incredible hosts. They were so excited to have us. They were so excited for us to partner with them. So why we do mission trips, there's, there's three reasons. One is this. It makes a huge impact on the lives of our students. It gives them a chance to get out of their comfort zone. It gives them a chance to serve. And after doing youth ministry for a long time, that's a real, a real huge factor I see in students that serve Jesus their whole life is, is if they had opportunities to do mission and serve in that way when they were younger. It's a real common denominator in that. So they have their, their lives impacted, so then they can come back here, and, and they have a deeper love for Jesus and a heart for people. The second, it gives us the opportunity to work alongside churches and ministries that are already doing great work. We didn't just show up in New Orleans and just get to work in a random neighborhood. We worked with a church that's on mission there every day of the week and every week of the year. And that was a huge blessing to them to have 32 extra people helping them during that time. And then thirdly, it makes a difference in the lives of the people that we get to reach out to there. And so when we were there this summer, there were three main jobs we had. First one was called flyering. And we would literally spend hours every day walking through neighborhoods in the humidity, um, handing out invitations to our back-to-school outreach that we were putting on later in the week. So we would literally break up into small groups, and we'd walk through neighborhoods, knock on doors, talk to people on the street, and invite them. Now, honestly, knocking on doors is not my favorite thing to do when it comes to ministry, but there I was so blown away by the hospitality and the friendliness. You see, there everybody has a front porch, and they have chairs or couches or whatever out there, and the kids play in the street, and the neighbors talk to each other. They don't necessarily revert to the backyard, the back porch, and in with their high fence. There, there's just this sense of warmth and community that I hadn't experienced, and I think that's real common in the South. So we would go, and I don't remember, we didn't have one that I know of, one really bad conversation or a door slammed in our face. I mean, it might have happened, but for the most part, people were really welcoming and appreciative of what we were doing. So after, because of the flyering, we did these back-to-school outreaches, and we helped to lead and organize those. We gave away 600 or more backpacks full of school supplies in two different neighborhoods. And so the kids and the families would line up for an hour before the event happened. And the first, uh, let's see, the first day we did it was at the local church there, All Nations Fellowship. We worked all day setting it up. We were ready to go, ready to open the gates. And all of a sudden, I felt the raindrop. And I thought, oh, we're from Washington, right? We're used to this stuff. 
come on, right? And all of a sudden, another, and they were probably, it was like cups of water being dumped on us, you know, and within 20 seconds, I was wet from head to toe, drenched. And so we scrambled, we ran, we had to set up everything inside, and that was, and the people stuck around, and we got to serve food and get to know people and, and give kids backpacks. The second day was in a neighborhood called Holly Grove, which is one of the poorest neighborhoods in New Orleans. Their claim to fame is there is a rapper named Lil Wayne that grew up there. And so he's, that's where he's from, and everybody there talks about him. So we went there, and we served even more people there, working alongside a local ministry. So firing back-to-school outreach, we went to the French Quarter. Quarter you'll hear more about that. And we actually helped lead their um, youth group service and many of other things we did there. So as we get into this, in a moment, I'm going to have some students come and share some stories with you. But I have a question for you. You know, as we're talking about mission, as we're talking about our mission trip, but really the importance of mission for Jesus in this world, in what ways do you see yourself on mission for Jesus in your life? What part is he asking you to play in that? For the last several months, we have, as a church, been going through a series called Praxis based on the book of Acts. And we're coming towards the end of that. And as we start this part of it, I just want to say this to you. I want to keep this in mind throughout all that we share this morning. No matter what, no matter what, the gospel message of Jesus will be preached in this world. As we start out in the book of Acts, chapter 1, we're going to read where Jesus has, he's been crucified, he came back to life, he hung out for about 40 days with his disciples. And then before he ascends or goes up into heaven, he gave them a, this, um, this plea. He said to them, this is verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, says, but you will, emphasis on will, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. I mean, the Jesus rises up, and the disciples are probably staring like, whoa, look at him go. So in the first chapter of Acts, Jesus is commissioning his disciples, his followers, you're going to start a movement. You're going to be a part of something huge and carrying on the message of the gospel, my death and resurrection, my forgiveness of sins, redemption, all that, you're going to carry that and start the early church. You're going to do that in your hometown. You're going to do it here in Jerusalem. You're going to do that in Judea, which is in the region. You're going to do that in Samaria, where those are people that are the marginalized and the people you don't like very much. And you're going to do that to the ends of the earth. They were going to start a worldwide movement with the help of the Holy Spirit. And this movement, as we've learned all through Acts this year, this movement would not be stopped. It would carry on no matter what. This message will go forth no matter the obstacle or the cost. Evil kings and rulers, they couldn't stop it. Religious leaders who persecuted the followers of Jesus, they couldn't stop it. Turmoil and conflict and dissension within the church couldn't stop it. Leadership, vacuums, and power struggles 
and all that couldn't stop it. Natural disasters like hurricanes couldn't stop it. And at the end of the book of Acts, the apostle Paul, who would spend years in and out of jail at the end of his life, he would have to appear many times before religious leaders, before royalty, and he'd be asked to defend himself for his role in helping to carry the gospel message of the world. And he wouldn't stay there and blame other people. He would take responsibility and he'd share his story. He'd say, I was on the road to Damascus and he was on his way to persecute yet another group of Christians when Jesus showed up and knocked him off his horse and blinded him. And he was blind for a couple days. And he would share this story over and over how that was his moment where God said to Paul, I have a plan for you. I have a, I have a huge part for you in my plan to carry on the gospel in this world. So over and over, Paul shares this story. And in Acts 26, verse 16, he is standing before a king named Agrippa. And he's lived, he's had a rough life. He's been persecuted. He's been kicked out of towns. He's been stoned with rocks. He's had so many things happen to him. But he again stands before another king who says, defend yourself. And he shares about his road to Damascus story. And he says, this is what Jesus said to me. Jesus said to Paul in that moment, he said, but rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified or separated by, me, by faith in me. This is what Paul's saying. This is what Jesus said to me after he knocked me off the horse in my moment where God said, I have a part, a huge part. He says this, you'll open people's eyes. You'll help people see their need to turn from darkness to light. You help them to see their need for forgiveness of sins and that Jesus wants to sanctify, separate them from their sin and make them and grow them as disciples. And as in a moment here, as I invite students to come and share a couple stories, I want to remind you of this big idea that no matter what, the gospel message of Jesus will be preached in this world. But ask yourself, what's my part? One of the students we took with us to New Orleans, his name is Jake. And Jake spoke in the first service today, and he had a, has a commitment to his hockey team, and he can't be here now. And I really wish he could be. I'm going to kind of summarize what he said. Jake was new. He's been a part of our youth ministry at 412 for about a year. And after a few months, signed up to go on this trip to New Orleans. And this is what, his, what he said. Jake's a junior at Seahome High School. He said, my trip to New Orleans was very moving for me. Before the trip, I was the kind of guy who was confused about having God in me. I was always confused, and going to New Orleans, I was a little scared. See, Jake didn't come have, doesn't have a lot of um, Christian background in his life, except for his grandparents have been a huge influence, and he shared that earlier today, how his grandparents were huge in praying for him and supporting him. I was only in, in youth group for five months, and that was my first mission trip, so I didn't know what to expect, but I thought maybe it could show me something. 
A week before the trip, I had a lot of things going on in my life with friends and family, but I kept it built in me and just let it build up during my time. So he was, he was struggling that week leading up to it. The thing that moved me from the trip wasn't the food or the nice town. They did have good food there, but it was letting God into my life. I remember the day we went to church for an hour prayer time, and I was thinking, praying for an hour, that's a long time. So long, some of you said, we're going to have a little hour-long prayer meeting. That, that was a shock for our team. Like, what, an hour? What am I going to talk about to God the whole time? But it was really powerful, and it was for Jake. So I was thinking and praying for an hour, but that's when God spoke to me about all my troubles and about all my sin, and he said, Jake, I forgive you. Just let all that inside out. And that's when I gave myself fully up to God. Ever since then, I have been a whole new person. So Jake's life was incredibly impacted by this trip, by this opportunity he had to go and serve there. I'm going to invite up Elizabeth Hale. She's going to come and share with you her, her story. Hello. That's better. Hey guys, um, I'm Elizabeth Hale, and I am a uh, sophomore at Seaholm High School. And I was super pumped to go on this mission trip because it was my first one ever, um, my first big one. And um, so I'm going to share a memory um, from the evening of the first full day that we were there. Um, it had been a long and, uh, as usual, hot day in New Orleans, um, but really fun and really exciting too. And, um, and so that evening, we all took these two big vans to go downtown to the French Quarter, which is kind of like the more touristy district, um, to do some street evangelism. And um, I was in a little group uh, walking around looking for people to talk to around these, this big set of stairs that's right across this busy street from um, Jackson Square. And um, I wouldn't say that it's like it was like discouraging or sad for me, but um, it was kind of confusing because the place was so um, foreign and kind of chaotic, and I didn't really, I didn't really understand how God wanted me to speak, how God wanted to speak through me if nobody really wanted to talk to me about Him. So um, uh, after a little while of that, uh, we met back together on the stairs, and I think there was a couple pictures of that um, and to do some worship songs with Billy and he had his guitar and um, and so as we started singing and as I watched the stars come out I just this peace fell on my heart and I um, and as we kept singing I felt a peace and a light like start to spread out from us into the city into like the dark and the hurt places in New Orleans not not the kind of light that was shining like laser beams from our eyes in the dark picture, but the um, but like a light that was spreading out through our song and through our words, and um, and so as we sang our last song, which was Amazing Grace, there were people that were stopping along the sidewalk to um, to listen, and there were people that were singing with us, and in that moment, I just felt so much comfort, um, knowing that God's plan was and is so much greater than anything I could ever expect of him. And um, I just felt so much comfort knowing that on that trip, he was going to speak through me in ways that, like, I would never imagine by myself. Like, 
through a song or through a smile or um, through a listening ear or a hot dog covered in melted cheese or um, most importantly through the um, through a heart that was just really ready and willing to serve his loved ones in New Orleans. Hi, um, I'm Megan, and I'm a recent graduate from Seahome High School, and I'm going to share a story from the last day of our mission trip. Um, so for the last day, we did homeless ministry, and we went out to, it was like many miles long freeway bridge, and there was homeless people just living everywhere underneath it, and um, so it was pretty pretty different than Bellingham. And um, so going into that day, I was kind of having some mixed emotions. Uh, I was pretty anxious and excited at the same time because I actually have a family member who's been struggling with homelessness the last two years. So I was all jumbled up going into this day. And um, thankfully, though, I had a lot of people and a lot of support who were praying for me that morning. And um, yeah, it was great. And so when we got there, we were split into groups of four. And Half the groups went one way, half the groups went the other way. And um, so we were, you know, handing out flyers for people to come and join us for, well, not us, but the church, for uh, dinner the following Wednesday. And um, we, our group hadn't really talked to anyone. We kind of handed out a couple flyers, but it wasn't, we didn't really get to have a conversation with someone. That was something that I really wanted. And um, I was we got to the end of our bridge part and my friend Sonora and I were talking and kind of just feeling a bit discouraged because we felt like we hadn't really made an impact quite yet. And so we were just kind of talking and praying as we were walking back and all of a sudden this couple just like literally 30 seconds later just like, hey, like, hey, come here, we want to talk to you. And um, so we went over there and the wife was preaching the gospel to us instead. So we were like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And like, all right. <laughs> um, and then her husband, his name was Chip, and he came over to me and kind of started talking to me. And um, we got to talk about his life a little bit and kind of how he ended up in New Orleans. And um, he didn't go into great detail about, how, like, his homeless story or anything like that. But um, I got to encourage him and talk to him about God and his relationship with God and um, that was kind of that moment where I felt like this is why God wanted me in New Orleans. This is why he brought me on this trip. And, um, you know, he just totally affirmed my prayer life and that he will come through with his prayer, like when you pray to him and, um, you know, helping me to trust him more and more. And it was just a really powerful moment for me. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Megan. So to finish up this morning, I want to share with you a story, experience that I had in New Orleans. And again, remind us that no matter what, the gospel of Jesus will be preached in this world. And he has a part for all of us to play. So what's our part? The same day Megan was talking about, we went downtown near the Superdome, where the New Orleans Saints play football. And underneath the freeway is where a lot of homeless people live. It's, it's uh, sheltered. It's a little bit cooler. 
And so we went down there. And as a youth pastor, I'm always supposed to be the strong example, right? And at first, there's, there's moments sometimes where we walk into it and we go, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. And I've done lots of homeless ministry and outreach in my life, but there's something about that day. And so we, our team, we stopped to pray and just said, well, let's just go and see who we run into. And so as we're walking along, I noticed three guys playing cards together, sitting down in the, on the concrete. And so we went over to talk to them. And I introduced myself to a guy, his name is Chris. And Chris and I started this conversation. And I asked Chris, where are you from? And Chris said, well, I'm from Washington State. And I said, whoa, well, we're from Washington State. And I said, what part of Washington State are you from? And he said, I'm from Bellingham. And I thought, well, did he overhear us or something? So I quizzed him a little bit. I said, so tell me about Bellingham. You know, what, what's your, where did you grow up there? He said, well, I went to Bellingham High School for a little while. Then my family moved. I went to Mount Baker High School. And so after a little bit, I'm thinking, this guy knows Bellingham. He's telling the truth. And so, and then he said, let me show you something. So he pulls out his backpack, pulls out this old Seahawks jersey he's been carrying around, old one. And so we had this wonderful conversation where I was asking him about his story. We were, he was asking me questions. I mean, we had this connection, two people from the same area under a freeway underpass like this in New Orleans. And so as we, he let me pray with him for quite a while, and as we're finishing up, he, he, uh, I asked him, Chris, is there anything that I can do for you? And he said, you know, I don't have a phone, and if you, when you get back to Bellingham, if you could call my dad and tell him I'm okay and tell him that I'm alive, I'd appreciate that. And I said, absolutely. So I gave him one of the flyers we were handing out. He wrote... His, his dad's name was Joe, and he wrote this phone number, and then he handed it to me. And I was walked away excited, thinking, that, that's cool. I've got to keep my word. And I told our team about it. And so after we got back from New Orleans, I had some time off on vacation with my family. And, and then as I got back, I was thinking, well, I haven't called Chris's dad yet. And I could not find the note for weeks. And I, it was killing me. Like, I made this promise to this guy, I want to fulfill that. So a couple weeks ago, I was going through some paperwork, medical release forms and stuff that I had had in New Orleans, and lo and behold, there's the note. And I have it in my hand, I'm thinking, this was like two months ago. I'm kind of embarrassed to call his dad right now and say, hey, two months ago, I met your son. But there was something about it, I thought, you know, maybe... This, is, this was God's time today. So I set up a prayer, and I picked up the phone. I didn't know what was going to happen. Kind of secretly hoping voicemail, you know, <laughs> you ever do that? Um, but phone rings, rings, and Joe answers the phone. And I said, hi, Joe. My name is Dan, and I'm a pastor from Hellcrest Chapel down in Bellingham, Fairhaven area. He said, oh, what can I do for you? And I said, well, I want you to know this. A couple months ago took a group of high school students and leaders to New Orleans on a mission trip, went downtown to, to an, an area where homeless people live under the freeway, and I met your son, Chris. 
And he said, what? You met my son? And so for about 15 minutes, we had a conversation about Chris's story. He kind of filled in some blanks and um, struggles he's had with addictions and how his family's pretty much written him off because he's burned the bridges there. I won't go into detail. But we had this conversation back and forth, and I, and I would feel like, see an older guy, I felt like he kept trying to get off the phone with me, but then he'd ask me a question. So we're wrapping up, I feel like, and then he'd say, well, what did he look like? How did he look? And then he'd say, well, what else did he say? You know, and he you know, he would, we, it was about a 15-minute conversation, and at the very end of it, he said this, and just to back up a little bit, when I left that New Orleans that, that day, we left that area right here where it's on the screen, I had this sense that I had seen Chris before, and so in this conversation, his dad says to me, what a coincidence that you were in New Orleans from Bellingham, and you met my son underneath the freeway. And I said, uh, Joe, I don't think it was a coincidence. I believe it was God that gave me the opportunity to talk with your son and to pray with him. And I want you to know that I will be praying for him, and I'll be praying for your family. And he, I again told him who I was, and how he could get a hold of me, and, and we hung up. So here's a guy from Bellingham that I meet in New Orleans. Now, the sad part of this story is that his dad told me that Chris's favorite spot to hang out in Bellingham and beg for money was on the freeway exit of Lake, Lakeway, I-5 exit. And I drive by that every day almost. And so that sent, and I and immediately clicked with me, like, this is the guy I totally, that, I've seen him there. That's how I knew him. And it reminded me this, that God, his message of the gospel will be preached in the ends of the earth no matter what, despite me at times. Even despite the missed opportunities, he chooses to use us. We have a part in that plan. Paul had a part. He had a huge part, right? This New Orleans team had a part for 10 days in people's lives. But we have opportunities every day. We, may not, we don't need to go to another city to do that. It might be the people that we sit across the office from. Or maybe someone we sit across the classroom. Or someone we practice with. Or someone in our neighborhood. But God's message will go forth. And we have a part in it. I missed the opportunity to talk to Chris when he was right here. But God gave me that opportunity to pray with him underneath that bridge, that freeway underpass. So I want to pray for us and ask just a few questions of you. So dear Lord, thank you that despite so many times our weaknesses or our fears or whatever we are dealing with, you choose to use us. Just like you said in Acts to the disciples, you will go and you will make, you will carry my, and be my witnesses in the city, in the region, and to the world. You will be my witnesses with the help of the Holy Spirit who will do the heavy lifting for you. God, I'm grateful that you choose to use us and that all of us have, it's not negotiable, it's 
we all have a part. You said to all of us, go into the world and make disciples. Go into the world and preach the gospel. So God, I ask that you'd even in this moment bring to our minds and our thoughts people that are in our life that we are maybe, that you're sending us to. People that we have a part in carrying the message of Jesus to them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So just in closing, I want to say this. Are you here this morning and maybe you um, have not yet decided to follow Jesus with your whole heart, soul, mind, strength? Maybe there's people that have been reaching out to you, speaking to you, sharing their story with you. Maybe you feel like God has your number and that he's drawing you to himself. Don't ever forget that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you, despite how you feel about him. At the end of the service this morning, and I, if that's speaking to you, I'd encourage you to come up and pray with our prayer team or with me. I'd love to pray with you and talk to you about that. For those of us who are committed followers of Jesus, what, is, what part is God asking you to play? Who has he placed around you? What if you look for divine moments or opportunities, appointments, to share Jesus with others? What if we weren't so busy about our days that we actually got to you know, pay attention to what's going on around us? Or so busy with our life that we wouldn't miss the opportunities we have with a neighbor or a coworker or a classmate? Jesus said to his disciples, he would send a helper, the Holy Spirit, who anoints us and empowers us and does the work. But my question is, what part will you play? Paul had a huge part. Our missions team had a part. We all have a part in carrying the message of the gospel because Jesus said it will be preached to the ends of the earth.